Good evening and welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 189, Rosenstrike versus Sakai. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com, and it is my immense pleasure to welcome back to the mic uh, my co-host, Keith Schillen. For me, it has been two weeks, thanks to Memorial Day weekend. For him, it has been three weeks, thanks to the pressures of real life. It is definitely good to have you back in the pilot's chair, sir. How are you doing? Uh, I'm I'm doing well, my man. Uh Thanks for having me back. First of all, I want to apologize to any of our regular listeners. We were supposed to do a the last pay-per-view, uh, Oliveira and Chandler card. We were going to do a post-fight show, and uh, something very crazy happened in my life that uh, the night. I actually didn't even watch the event live. I had to watch it two or three days later. But uh, other than that, we're kind of hopefully we get back to normal, uh, back to breaking down the cards, and, and I'm excited. Yeah, I'm, we're going to break this one down. It is uh, 14 fights. Uh, UFC is back at their de facto uh, home base of the UFC Apex. Uh, I'm going to ask for your thoughts on this card. I mean, for me, looking at the card top to bottom, obviously it's not one of their more stacked cards. There are some recognizable names, but quite a few people that are on losing streaks or coming off of losses. This feels to me like kind of leftovers night at home. Yeah. Like, you know, when it's leftovers night, like... The individual things, like, oh, yeah, that was a good pizza. That was good meatloaf. That was good chili. Some of it's a little past its best by date. You know, like, <laughs> it, it's not it's not a dinner for company, but, you know, it, it's, it's probably going to sure. be pretty good. Yeah, so uh, speaking of, while you're talking about that, I was thinking about, like, leftover food. Uh-huh. I traveled to to Dallas, Texas last week, so that's why I uh, – two weeks ago now. That's why I wasn't on the last show. I was I was traveling. I was with family. It was just going to be crazy for me to try to fi- figure out time with them. But dude, I got a bone to pick with you in in Uh-oh. your state. Your state. <laughs> Why are you guys not telling the rest of the world about Bucky's, the oh. craziest gas station in the world? Oh, for it. those who don't know, Bucky's is a it's a chain of you know rest stop, travel stop places. That, uh, as far as I'm aware, it's only in Texas, or maybe it's spread into some neighboring areas. But I mean, Keith will uh, Keith will verify this. When you pull up to a Bucky's, there are 50 fuel pumps in front. You go inside; it is the size of a Walmart, and they just have the cleanest bathrooms. There's like 50 stalls. I'm glad you said that. That was the first thing I was going to mention. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the one I went to is in uh, Denton, which is just outside of Dallas. If anybody, it's a little small. That's where my uncle lives. But pretty much Dallas. The one we went to had 122 pumps. I could not believe it. 122 yep. pumps, and we went. It was at. We went to the rodeo in Fort Worth, which, by the way, Texas has the uh, the hottest chicks alive. Uh, moving on, as 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 my <laughs> as my partner in crime did warn me that there was the entire place looked like uh, Andrea Lee. Uh, yep. That's where I looked. At, you know, they're just different models, different versions of Andrea <laughs> Lee. Uh, but we went on a Friday night. And it was after midnight by the time we just stopped in real quick. And there was more people in this place after midnight than if I went to Walmart on a Saturday. I could not believe it. It was incredible. I was seeing like paintings for sale on the bathroom walls. It was it was absolutely insane. But if every area of the world had a Bucky's, like people would stop hating each other. Everyone was super nice. Like all, all the problems and like Israel and Palestine would be solved if they just put a Bucky's in between. Like it's just fantastic. Anyways, uh, back to this card. 
I what I love about this card, and and it's what I feel about a lot of times when fights get matched. Other than one or two fights, and and some of the, and even those were kind of, you know, fights falling through, but for the most part, I'm not confident in many of my picks, and I like that. Like I like when I don't know what's going to happen, so I think like everything kind of makes sense. It's not the sexiest main event. It's not going to draw in big headlines with, but. From top to bottom, I think the matchmaking was pretty well. And I feel like that's been a trend a lot lately. Like We haven't really complained too much about the matchmaking lately. I, I completely agree. Even though, like I said, you know, they're short on contenders here, short on ranked fighters, semi-short on name value, pretty much all of the matchups, I, I agree, are, are really intelligently made. And even the last-minute you know, swap in fights, you know, they, they pulled three fighters from LFA within like the last week including like a sitting champ to like fill holes on this card. Even those are as well made as they could be. You know, it's not just like these lamb to the slaughter fights for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited for some of the people on in. I think it's a good match. Megan. All right. Uh, shall we dive right in? Let's go. All right. Uh, first up, we have a lightweight matchup between the returning Claudio Poyes and Jordan Levitt. Uh, Poyes, the 25 year old Peruvian is nine and two overall. He is two and one in the UFC since joining out of, I want to say, the third season of uh, Tough Latin America. Uh, if his name is not ringing a bell, it's because it's been almost two years since he fought. Uh, he last appeared in the cage in uh, September of 2019, taking a unanimous decision over Marcos Mariano. Uh, he'll be taking on Levitt, the uh, 26 year old who goes by the Monkey King, is a perfect eight and no. Uh, he is 1-0 in the UFC, uh, having joined out of Dana White's Contender Series, where he won uh, last August. Uh, he appeared, uh, his first actual UFC fight was in December, where he slammed Matt Wyman uh, through the, uh, the octagon floor in 22 seconds. Uh, Levitt is a comfortable favorite in this one. He's out there minus 210, minus 215. Uh, Puez is around plus 175 or plus 180 as the underdog. I see this one pretty straightforwardly. Both of these guys are grapplers by preference. Both of them are are fairly big for the weight division. Although, I mean, Puez, he was a very big uh, featherweight. Now he's going to be a semi-big lightweight. But I've, I've got Levitt all day in this one. I didn't learn a whole lot out of Levitt's uh, fight with Matt Wyman, except that Levitt is really strong and Wyman probably shouldn't be fighting. I learned a lot more in his, in his contender series appearance. He is a... He is a big, strong grappler, a very finish-oriented grappler. I, I like him a lot, and unfortunately, I like Poyas as well, but he's going to play right into what Levitt wants to do. Uh, give me Levitt by second-round submission. All right, um, so I'll start with Puelas. He, what The thing that jumps out to me that I love is that he's only 25 years old. Like that's the the age where we yeah. really start seeing guys improve, and I know I say that all the time, but but it's true. Now he's a he's a southpaw. I don't. I agree with you that he definitely wants to grapple, but I don't think he's one dimensional. Like I think he's got some pretty good output on the feet. Nothing special in his striking, but uh, I do like his kicks. I like that he targets the calves. As far as the grappling, decent entries. I like that he looks to advance on the ground. He does have five submission wins, though I'd be really surprised if he submits someone on Levitt's level. Uh, the one thing I don't like is that he'll chase a submission and put himself in bad position, which would be a big mistake in Levitt. Now, I move to Levitt, who I have. Obviously, he's a contender guy, so I have a lot more 
notes on him. First thing you you mentioned was how big and strong he is. He is big for the weight class, uh, but he's also extremely one dimensional. His stand up. Now, mind you, he also could have improved since you know the when I was doing the tape study from the contender series, which obviously, as you mentioned, the Matt Wyman fight can't take anything from that. But his stand up from the last time I actually saw him standing, it's atrocious. This guy is so uncomfortable on feet. He's very stiff. Um, I saw one fight, and I said this last, on, when I broke down his contender series, he just butt-scooted around and chased his opponent without throwing a strike. He was like oh. that scared to stand up with a fight. This is a regional fighter. Uh, in his first four fights, I don't think he landed a single strike. He just got the fight to the ground and got a submission. He's got some big holes defensively. He's got his chin high in the air. But if he gets to the fight to the ground, legit submission threat. He's one of the best. He he will look to shoot immediately. His entries aren't great. Like he's he he comes from a wrestling background, but it's more of a funk style where he will shoot just to create a scramble, and then in that scramble he'll keep his hips moving, and usually wins those scrambles and puts himself in good position. But if he can't shoot and take you down, he'll try like an Imanari roll just to get the fight to the ground. Once hits the ground, submissions everywhere. Heel hooks. He does some slick back takes. Extremely flexible. I mean, we saw that against Matt Wyman when he he won. He jumps in the air and does a split on the ground. Like he's extremely flexible. Uh, submissions for any position. He loves the Darsh choke. He hit a slick, slick Kimura as an amateur. I saw him get in a dominant crucifix position. He also, though, is is like Puelas is willing to give up submissions to get a sub, which is an issue. And then another fight, even though he's undefeated. On the regional scene, I saw him really slow down as a fight went on. So, this is a really good. There's a there's a really really good chance Levitt submits him, like you said, very very quickly under 90 seconds. However, I'm going upset special right out of the box, Ooh. and this has nothing to do with Puelas. This is just my take on Levitt. I think he's extremely one dimensional. I and I don't think he's Ryan Hall. Like I don't think he's pre or, or like Ultimate Fighter Ryan Hall, where he's kind of still new to the sport. If Willis can try to keep this on the feet or just get past that first initial rush, which is a huge, massive if, and I know I'm going to look like someone who doesn't know what the hell he's talking about because then Puelas is, is, is probably going to get submitted. But until I see some stand-up out of Levitt, I'm going to continue to pick against him because he's going to hit that roadblock where someone can stuff his submission attempts, stuff his takedown attempts, I don't know if Poilus is the guy, but it's going to train. I'm going to keep going. So give me Poilus. Give him. Give me Poilus by decision. There you go. Some dissension and a pretty strong upset pick right out the gate. Buckle up, folks. Next up, it is the featherweights as Yusef Zalal takes on uh, Sean Woodson, the notorious Jordan Levitt lookalike. Zalal is ten and four overall. He is 3-2 and two in the UFC. He fought most recently uh, just in February, losing a unanimous decision to Sung Woo Choi. Uh, previous to that, he also lost a unanimous decision to Ilya Tapuria back in October. That snapped the three-fight winning streak on which he had entered the UFC and become one of the, the uh, sneaky breakout stars of the, of the COVID era until he hit that skid. Uh, he'll be taking on Woodson, the titanic 28 year old is seven and one overall he is one and one since joining the ufc out of the third season of dana white's contender series he won his uh ufc debut over kyle bokniak all the way back in october of 2019 he came back 
last June at UFC on ESPN, Poirier versus Hooker, and lost by third-round submission to Julian Arosa in one of the biggest uh, uh, UFC upsets of last year. So he will be looking to right the ship as well, and the odds favor him to do so. He is minus 190 right now. You can get Salal around plus 165, plus 170 as the underdog. Uh, Keith, who do you like in this one and why? This is a really uh, good matchup between two guys I actually really like. I like them uh, both heading forward in the UFC. Uh, Zell, again, really young, only 24. He's got really good experience in the UFC, UFC experience at this age. He's fought some good guys, had a lot of matches. He's a long and lengthy striker. Usually he's a long and lengthy striker against Sean Woodson. Not, not going to really matter. Uh, but he uses movement really well. He likes to pull guys into his punches. Uh, his boxing is, I would say, basic. Nothing special, but I like his step in knees. I like his leg kicks, nice leg kicks. He can uh, throw up a quick high kick. He's a good offense wrestler, can go for takedowns. He's a very aggressive with submissions, good subs off his back. Uh, he's He gives up position, like we just talked about, Puelas. Looking for Smith, which I don't like. But I'll give him credit. He's extremely hard to submit. We said this last time when we broke down Zaleo. Taporia put him in some of the worst positions, deep submissions, and he found a way to get out of it, showed a lot of heart. And I think that experience of being in bad positions in the UFC and finding ways out of it is actually going to continue to help him move forward. I also like his cardio. He actually came on late in that fight. Move over to Woodson. I mean, you mentioned he's insanely big for the weight class. On the feet, he's very accurate. Nice jab. Knows how to use his length well. He lacks true one-punch, put-you-to-sleep power, but he has stinging power, and he's accurate enough that he can put you out that. He can have a little Tyron Woodley in him, though, even though he's he, he can really use his, his length well. Sometimes, in, especially against... Julian Arosa, he like backed up to the fence surprisingly and liked to have his back foot against the fence. I don't know if that's because it's trying to help him stop takedowns, which I actually think it, that's a, the worst thing. He doesn't really like to be pressured. Uh, his takedown defense is weak uh, to the point where if he gets taken down, he looks a little lost. I mean, that happened in the Julian Arosa fight, and he was way ahead of the Julian Arosa fight and, and faded late and ended up losing to Arosa. I love Woodson striking. I legit think he is one of the very best strikers in the UFC. However, he has been taken down, and I've seen Zalil grapple, and I think his grappling is pretty good. So while I actually think Woodson has the highest ceiling of these two, if anyone ever went on a you know a deep UFC run where you know the challenger for a title one day, I, I of these two, I would go with Woodson. But until I've seen him improve that wrestling. I'm going to go the other way, and I'm going to go with Zalil. Even though I'm so high on Woodson, I'm going to take Zalil, and I'm going to take him by a third-round submission. I think it's going to look very similar to Arosa, where, he, where Woodson fades late, and, and Zalil finds a submission. Hey, oh, so that's two upset picks right out the gate for Keith. I am with him on this one. Uh, same as you, I, I, I love watching Woodson box. I really, I mean, I love the Arosa fight. Uh, he looked fantastic and was just piecing him up for um, most of the first two rounds before he really started to flag. That's what concerns me because that was at 150 pound catch weight 
Arosa was the guy stepping up on short notice, and nonetheless, Woodson was the one who got tired first. This one's back down at 145. And while Dalal isn't a complete cardio machine and he doesn't put on that furious a pace, I mean, he, he's, he's shown that he at least has three-round stamina down. He, ha- he has that in the bank. I, I'm with you. Uh, Zalal, he wants to, like, he, he, I think he's at his best. I think in, in his dream, his perfect fight is him just styling on somebody as a complete outfighter. Um, you know, he's pretty effective in the clinch, but I don't think he likes to go there. I just think he can't stop people from, from, uh, from clinching with him. I expect that he might get some of the worst of the striking in the early going, but I'm with you. I think Woodson will probably get tired first. I think Zalal is smart enough to turn to his wrestling at that point. Uh, give me Zalal uh, by, I'm going to say by decision. Like, he, he just turns on the Jets and he takes the second and third rounds. But uh, put me down for, for the upset as well. We head next to the women's flyweight division where Manon Fioro will attempt to build on the momentum of her successful UFC debut earlier this year as she welcomes a newcomer Tabitha Ricci to the octagon. Fioro, the 31-year-old French woman, is 6-1 overall. She is 1-0 in the UFC, having knocked out Victoria Leonardo at UFC on ESPN, Chiesa versus Magni back in January. She was scheduled to take on Marina Moroz, who uh, withdrew from the card this week and is being replaced by Ricci. The 26-year-old Brazilian is 5-0 in her uh, mixed martial arts career. She had a couple of fights basically as a teenager uh, in Brazil, took six years off, came back about six months ago, and won three fights in short order in LFA. Uh, most recently, she fought at LFA 105 uh, back in April, knocking out Shauna Lee Ormsby in the second round. Uh, odds on this one heavily favoring Furo. She was a slight favorite over Moroz. She is a 5-1 to one favorite over Ricci. She's out there around uh, minus 500. You can get Ricci plus 350, plus 360 on the comeback. Uh, I'll jump in on this one just because I, I've seen all of Ricci's LFA fights, and I'm just going to say she might be a UFC level strawweight at some point in the next year or two, but this is, this is a bad matchup for her. She is a, I mean, she is a scrappy, aggressive grappler who, uh, who likes scrambles. Like she does her best work in scrambles. She's not really like just a heavy positional grappler and she's small, even for a strawweight. Meanwhile, she's taking on Furo, who is a freaking tank. I picked against uh, Manon Furo in her debut against Victoria Leonardo just because I watched the tape and she looked like a slightly raw product who was really getting by on physically bullying her opponent. She was the bigger, stronger woman. Anytime I see a fighter like that coming from continental Europe and making their debut in the UFC, I always fade them a little bit until I see what they look like in their in their u.s debut I, I just always do i was wrong in this case she hulked out on victoria leonardo she looks like a serious problem and she's an absolutely dreadful style matchup for ricci even if they were the same size even if they were the same uh skill level ricci is five and oh but literally her five opponents have four wins among them she has not beaten a single fighter with a winning record this is a huge step up for her give me Furo by first round death. Uh, I mean, 
I, I would expect submission just because that's Firo's, or I, I'm sorry, I would expect knockout uh, just because that's her preferred way of going about things. But yeah, just uh, Firo takes her down, you know, ground and, ground and pounds her, crumples her into a small ball and tosses her into the third row. Luckily, the uh, apex will be empty. Yeah, uh, so I did way too much tape study on Marna Moroz. And it seems like <laughs> like we do for every runner. It seems like, I don't know the last time she fought. She just, she she must have more canceled fights in the UFC than she actually has fights in the UFC at this point. Um, as far as Furo, she's Southpaw. I, I, I liked her coming into the UFC. I didn't really know much that, about her until I did the tape study for the last fight. And I was really impressed. Southpaw, fast hands. I like that she shows some little pop on her, uh, on her punches. Good movement, good footwork. Um, I've seen her at times can have some low output. But that was not the case in her UFC debut. A lot of kicks. I like her teep kicks, her push kicks. I like that she can wrestle. She adds in takedowns in with her striking. Nice entries, good top control, good heavy top pressure. As far as her opponent, I'm not even going to pretend like I know who she is. This fight was announced... I found out about three minutes before we started taping. I almost said, hey, Ben, can you give me a half hour? Let me at least watch some of the fights. Uh, but then I was like, screw it. Let's, let's get this out. I'm going to trust my partner, that he, you know, his pick. I'm going to trust the odds makers. So I'm going to go with you, and I'll take Furrow. Don't back me on this one. As I said, I haven't seen another opponent, but Ben's extremely confident in Furrow. So I, I will try to pretend to be as confident. Outstanding. Uh, I, I appreciate your trust. Next up, we head to the lightweight division and the first of two consecutive bouts on this card featuring uh, Brazilians fighting Europeans half their age. It is Alan Patrick versus Mason Jones. Patrick, the 37-year-old from Manaus, is 15-3 and three overall. He is 5-3 and three since joining the UFC. Believe it or not, he's been in the UFC for eight years, so he's basically fought an average of about once per year. Uh, he fought most recently last September, dropping a unanimous decision to Bobby Green at UFC Fight Night, Watterson versus Hill. Uh, that is a two-fight uh, losing streak for him, as his last fight before that, all the way back in October of 2018, was a third-round KO loss to Scott Holtzman. Uh, he will be giving Jones a chance at redemption the 26-year-old Welshman who came over to the UFC with uh, quite a bit of anticipation as a two-division champ from Cage Warriors, uh, dropped a unanimous decision to Mike Davis in his UFC debut at UFC on ESPN 20 back in January. Uh, despite that, despite the fact that Patrick is on a two-fight losing streak, Jones is, uh, uh, Jones is on a losing streak as well, Jones is a prohibitive favorite uh, here. He is minus 300, where you get Patrick on the comeback at plus 250. Uh, Keith, how, how do you feel about this one? How does it play out? I, I like the matchmaking. That's the first thing I like. Like um, Mason Jones, is his last fight, he was against... Oh, it was, it was short notice, right? His last fight against Mike Davis? Or did he have full camp? I, can't, I feel like that was a short notice. I cannot remember whether, whether that was short notice I, or not. I think it was short notice. It, it might not have. But either way, Mike Mike Davis is a guy that, you know, contender series guy, a guy that I actually like in the contender series. I like him going forward. So that's a really tough test. To me, this this fit feels like where they both are meeting, where 
if we think about two escalators crossing, I feel like these, you know, their paths are crossing at the right time. Uh, Patrick, obviously, we know a lot more about him. He's been, as you mentioned, he's been in the UFC a long time. Uh, Alan Patrick, uh, Southpaw, he, he's explosive, but he telegraphs his punches because he loads up on every single punch. He tends to reach. He tends to overextend on his punches. Uh, I see him almost knock himself over throwing punches at times. He also drops his hands, so a lot of his punches comes from his hips. He and without well, probably being a little lazy in my comparison, but he reminds me a little bit of Cowboy Oliveira, you know, two older Brazilians, but they kind of fight that same way where the hands are kind of looping with the way they attack. Uh, he wants to get to the clinch though, and he'll just bull rush. There's no technique, he, just, he doesn't set up a, a, an entry or doesn't like uh, counter, you know. Uh, counter double or anything that he just bull rushes into the clinch where he, he is a very strong guy, but he doesn't have many setups on his takedowns. Uh, he just kind of tries to pull you down. Uh, he's got a weak takedown defense. I mean, Bobby green, who yes, he came from an NCAA wrestling background, but he's not really known for his MMA wrestling. Bobby green was taking him down with ease and winning a wrestling match. And when Bobby green took him down, he really struggled to get off the bottom. He looked like a guy that the best days are way behind him. Now, moving to Mason Jones, he's a good striker. He's very aggressive. He likes to brawl. He throws hard. But I actually think he's pretty technical when he tries. He's got a nice sting and jab, good counter striker. He's got a good slip and rip style, uh, nice right hand. I mean, if you're landing punches against Mike Davis in a boxing match and you're holding your own in a boxing match, that's really good because Mike Davis is a very good technical boxer. I like the way he bob and weaves into range well. It's um, really good head movement, high output, throws combinations, uh, nice power. But he's not just one-dimensional. He, he can get a takedown. I wouldn't say he's a great wrestler. Um, I wouldn't even say he's a wrestler, but he's he's competent in that area. He's probably a better wrestler at this point in his career than Alan Patrick is. But if you get on top of you, he's very aggressive, solid ground and pound. Uh, if you take him down, he does work well back to his feet. Um, and he has two submission wins on his record. I like Jones. He showed me a lot against Mike Davis. Patrick looked terrible against Bobby Green. Jones has you know, a lot less miles on his engine. He's faster on the feet. Maybe even a bit better wrestler. Uh, give me Jones. I don't think he finishes Patrick. If Bobby Green can't finish him, I don't think Jones will at this point. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if he does, but I'll take Jones by decision. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on this one. My concern is that uh, Alan Patrick in his last fight, it, I mean, it was his first fight back in like two years, and yeah, he looked super flat. He made Bobby Green actually look like an NCAA Division One wrestler. And, you know, Bobby Green normally is right up there with uh, Chuck Liddell in, you know, the history of fighters who fight the least like a former NCAA Division One wrestler. Uh, Jones, I, I, I have to keep from putting kind of the British stereotype on him because when I think of someone who comes over from Cage Warriors, I think of just, like, blood and guts, heart-type guys. They're all super pale, so, like, their face is bright red after they take a single punch. Uh, and you're right. Jones is more technical and more well-rounded than that. Uh, five years, well, I mean, five years ago, Mason Jones that was probably like 13 years old. But, you know, five years ago when Alan Patrick was in, in the middle of like a three-fight winning streak over some pretty good guys in the UFC, I, I would have favored that Patrick maybe over this Jones, who still seems to be a work in progress. 
But yeah, I just don't have any faith that Alan Patrick's got much left. I think Jones is likely to get the better of the striking. And if not, bringing it to the ground is absolutely going to be an available safety valve for him, like as bad as, as Patrick looked. And, and, and while Patrick, I mean, he, he lasted all three rounds versus Green, like he was also pretty tired at the end of that as well. And I, I think uh, Jones will probably have the better gas tank of the two. Yeah, give me Jones by a pretty easy unanimous decision. The first round will probably be fun. But if Jones wins that, he's going to win the other two probably as well. And yeah, it's going to be uh, back on track for the prospect from Wales. We now head to the welterweight division where uh, Francisco Trinaldo will take on Muslim Salikov. This would be the aforementioned uh, second half of our Brazilians taking on Europeans half their age uh, a duet. Trinaldo, the 42-year-old from Brasilia, is 26 and 7 overall. He is 16 and 6 since joining the UFC out of the first season of Tough Brazil, which he won. Or no, sorry, he didn't win, but at which he competed in at middleweight of all things. Then went on to a very strong uh, run at lightweight in the UFC. He is perhaps making concessions to age here, but is uh, fighting at 170 and taking on Salikov. The 36-year-old Russian who goes by the name King of Kung Fu is 17-2 and overall. He is 4-1 and in the UFC. He is on a four-fight winning streak. Uh, those coming over Ricky Rainey, Nordin Taleb, Loriano Staropoli, who fights later on this card, and most recently, last July, Eliseo Capoeira, Zaleski Dos Santos, uh, over whom he took a split decision at UFC 251. Odds on this one strongly favor Salikov. He is minus 255. You can get Trinaldo at plus 215 or plus 220. I love, like, I, I, I like Trinaldo a lot. I think it was great that he did so well on Tough Brazil as a middleweight of all things because he was a legit lightweight at the time. Like, he was literally the jungle fight lightweight champ when he went into that. Did well for himself nonetheless. He's been one of the sneaky, most accomplished fighters ever to come out of the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, you know, just he's quietly racked up 16 wins in the best division in the UFC, beating some good guys along the way. But in recent years, he's... He's he's slowed down. He's no longer like the plus athlete he was, uh, you know, six, seven years ago. He's on a three-fight winning streak, but they're ugly. They're, they are ugly wins. I see two ways this one uh, plays out. Uh, Salikov, I mean, he's a sensational striker. Uh, and, like, I mean sensational in the sense that he does sensational things with somebody who will oblige him. But Trinaldo's always been a master of turning uh, striking matches ugly. And then on top of that, uh, you know, Solikov's one UFC loss, Alex Garcia out-wrestled him pretty easily. That is an avenue to victory that is available to Trinaldo. He's an underratedly uh, good wrestler uh, and has, has kind of remained so even as he's aged and he doesn't have that speed on his first step anymore. The thing is, he doesn't often bother to do so. If he decides that he doesn't like what he's getting on the feet from Salikov and he wants to wrestle, he can win this fight, probably just grind out an ugly decision. If he doesn't decide that he wants to do that, he's probably going to lose an ugly striking match. If I can make a pick for, like, anti-fight of the night, this is probably it. Like, some of Trinaldo's recent fights have been just 
the opposite of appointment viewing. And I am going to pick him not to, you know, use his best avenue to victory, at least maybe not until it's too late. Give me Solikov by decision. And it's just not going to be sensational. He's not going to look like the king of Kung Fu. He's going to be the king of winning kind of a awkward mid-paced kickboxing match with a really, really tough old man. Yeah, I think that's a very fair breakdown. Um, Trinaldo, Trinaldo's a guy I always liked. Yeah, he's southpaw, very unorthodox, has that high guard defense, very accurate left hand, good power. I mean, his overhand left is, is deadly. You, you saw his last fight against Jay Herbert when you put him out with it. Though he tends to overextend, something we just talked about, Alan Patrick. Uh, I've always thought his best strike is his body kicks. He's got, because, you know, Southpaw, the body kick is usually open against an orthodox fighter. But his chin might be faded. I mean, he got dropped once by in Jay Herbert in his last fight and uh, completely dropped. And then another time he was almost dropped where he did that, you know, the, the crazy legs where he looked like he was on ice skates and was trying to keep himself up. Uh, but he's still very physically strong. Uh, at 170, it's it, obviously he's not going to have the strength advantage he used to have. But I, I think, still think he's you know he's strong enough where he can battle in there. If he gets inside, you mentioned him being underrated grab. I agree with that. Like good trips, he gets on top, good top pressure, strong ground and pound. He's got five submission wins. But I was surprised that Jay Herbert took him down, and I was also surprised that he gave up his back to get up. At one point, Jay Herbert had his back. Um, and that looks like, to me, of a guy whose skills are diminishing. Now, Salikov, if we're being asked, he's not some spring chinket either. He's 36. But he's he's light on his feet. What I like about him is that he he's light on his feet and he uses good movement. But when he decides to attack, he does sit on his punches so he keeps the power. Um, and he has the power. I mean, look at the Nordin Taleb fight. He put him in another dimension. He does well to keep his head off the center line. He's very good at sitting back, and then when his opponent comes in for like a blitz, kind of similar to like Augusto Sakai in the, in the main event. And obviously, I'm not comparing uh, welterweights to heavyweights, but Augusto Sakai is a guy who like he wants to fight in blitzes and come forward. He's the guy that beats you to that punch, beats you to the point of the blitz, so that blitz never comes against someone like Salikov. Uh, incredible kicks, kicks to every part of the body. That's you know you get the kung fu nickname from. He does check kicks, and he has a very Alexander Slomenko style to him where he's going to throw some spinning attacks. Um, he can wrestle, though I don't think he's a great wrestler. I actually think, he, as you mentioned, he's a weak defensive wrestler, and he's got weak top control, but he'll catch a kick or something and just get a takedown to win rounds. As far as prediction go, I've always liked Trinaldo. You said he's one of the uh, a very underrated all-time guy in, in wrestling. I think he's just underrated all-time Altogether, he's had a very good run in the UFC. However, he's undersized at 170. He looked faded against Herbert, even though he did get a, a knockout late. Um, he lost the second round, even got out grappled a little bit. He looked like he slowed. Well, Salikov is also up there in age. He hasn't taken the damage in the UFC that Trinaldo does. And it's against my when you break down Trinaldo's style, it makes me really want to go with Trinaldo. But he, I just feel like it's like this time. Like I, I, you know, they say like on an athlete, you're better off getting off early. It's better to get off early on a guy than get off late. And I feel like that's gonna happen with Ronaldo soon. And I think it might be start tonight. Uh, that's not tonight. This weekend, 
Salikov is faster. I think he's going to catch him on the feet. I think he's going to put him out. So I'm going to take Salikov. I'm going to say he takes him out in the second round, second round knockout. There you go. A pick for a finish by the King of Kung Fu from Keith Schillen. Next up, we head to the heavyweight division and a matchup between two men headed opposite directions on the scale as the incredible shrinking Tanner Bozer uh, continues or allows Alir Latifi to continue his heavyweight experiment. Uh, Latifi, the 37-year-old Swede, is 14-8 and eight with one no contest. Overall, he is 7-6 and six in the UFC. Uh, significantly, he is 0-1 at heavyweight. Uh, having taken on Derek Lewis at UFC 247 uh, last February and lost a unanimous decision. That extends Latifi's losing streak to three as he dropped uh, fights to Vulcan Uzdemir and Corey Anderson at light heavyweight before that. Uh, He'll be taking on Bozer, the 29-year-old Canadian, is 19-7-1 overall. He is 3-2 in the UFC. He fought most recently last November, dropping a unanimous decision to Andre Arlovsky. That snapped a two-fight win streak for him over Felipe Linz and Rafael Pessoa. Odds on this one slightly favor Bozer. He is minus 190. Latifi is available at plus 165 as the underdog. Uh, Keith, you know, how, how do you feel about these two guys? You know, as well as the fight... How do you feel about uh, Bozer's ceiling at heavyweight after that lost Arlovsky? And how do you feel about the heavyweight Latifi experiment? Yeah, so... <laughs> oh, God. So this is that heavyweight fight. You're like, oh, man. It, it 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 entertains me because one guy has a mullet and he's missing teeth. And the other guy has a middleweight body. Um, so that intrigues me. But when you have 14 fights and you try to pride yourself on extensive tape study, sometimes you have to sacrifice some lambs. And this is the, <laughs> I decided, uh, I, I almost sacrificed the main event, uh, but I'm like, I, I probably shouldn't sacrifice the main event as I was running out of time. So I decided to go with the other heavyweights. So I did not do as much tape studies. I, as I want, I, I'll start with the TV. He is fast for heavyweight. Like he, he looked pretty fast against, um, Derek Lewis, uh, but you mentioned he's extremely undersized. He's he's five foot ten. He had power at light heavyweight, and well, obviously he didn't knock out Derek Lewis. We don't know if that power went with him. You just look at his frame; he's he's still got to hit hard at, at heavyweight. So I, I like that. He's a good wrestler. I wouldn't say a great wrestler though. Like I, I think, um, I think people because he's taking guys down, but he's been out wrestled by much better wrestlers. Uh, a lot of his takedowns actually come from catching kicks. Um, and cardio is an issue. I've seen him gas against Corey Anderson. I've seen him against Vulcan. Now he's going up to heavyweight. So hopefully that helps him. Uh, but you know, he didn't look like an out, output machine against Derek Lewis. And it was starting to fade late against him. Tanner Bozier, he's pretty fast. He's pretty athletic for heavyweight. He uses a lot of movement, a lot of lateral movement. Um, he has power, but he, I wouldn't say he's a, a knockout artist at heavyweight. More of a, for a heavyweight, he's more of a point fighter. Nice leg kicks. I haven't seen much in an offensive or defensive wrestling game out of him, uh, which you would have liked at least at this point in the UFC career. So who am I taking? 
I, I pre tape study, I was going Tanner Bowser, and then I did a little bit of tape study on Tanner Bowser, and I'm like, man, like he doesn't do anything great. And then I looked at Latifi, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, neither does he. But the one thing, Latifi actually made it a match against Derek Lewis. Uh, you know, he did lose, but he he was doing okay. So screw it. I want to say he. You know, if if he can't beat Tanner Bowser, he's he's not going to do very well at heavyweight. You know, to go back to light heavyweight. But you know what? I say he just messes up the plans and and gets a couple yeah. takedowns at Tanner Bowser and and give me Latifi to get a win at heavyweight. All right, we we have some more dissension here because I can see everything you're putting out there, but I I haven't jumped off the Tanner Bowser ship yet. Like the loss to Arlovsky was bad, not because he lost to Arlovsky. You know, Ar- Arlovsky is probably going to be strangely relevant in this division for another 20 years. Like, I don't know how he does it, but somehow, you know, he'll be around for another 20 years. The problem to me is that just Bozer, and this is a topic that I'll return to later on the card, Bozer just didn't pull the trigger. He just he did not look like the same fighter who blasted away Linz and Pessoa. I don't know if he was, like, starstruck at fighting a living legend. He doesn't strike me as the type. You know, like he strikes me as a guy who probably didn't even start watching MMA until he started doing it. Like I, he's just that type of guy. But for whatever reason, he did not look like his accustomed self against Arlovsky. I am not thinking that's going to be the case against Latifi. Latifi's best route to victory here is just either going to be do what he did at light heavyweight, which is kind of mash Bozer against the cage and just make it ugly and grindy or just actually take him down and make it ugly and grindy. But Bozer, I, I think he has like surprisingly decent footwork for a heavyweight. Uh, he does. He does have those nice kicks. I'm gonna pick him to use his his range. Uh, you know, stay away from Latifi for the most part. Probably be the fresher man by the third round and pick up a decision. So uh, I'm picking Bozer to get back on track. You're picking Latifi to get back on track, and we'll see who's right. I guess. Next up, we are headed to the flyweight division. Women's flyweight, that is, as Montana De La Rosa locks him up with Ariane Lipsky. De La Rosa, the 26-year-old, is 11-6-1 overall. She is 4-2-1 in the UFC. Uh, fought most recently in February, fighting to a majority draw with Mayra Bueno Silva. Uh, a fight that went to a draw because uh, Silva was penalized a point in the first round for grabbing the pence repeatedly. Uh, before that, she fought in September, losing a unanimous decision to Viviane Araujo. Uh, she'll be taking on uh, Lipsky, the 27-year-old Brazilian uh, by way of Poland, is 13-6 and six overall. She is 2-3 and three in the UFC since joining as uh, the former KSW flyweight champ. She fought most recently in November, uh, being knocked out in the second round by Antonina Shevchenko at UFC 255. Odds on this one heavily favor the American. She is out there minus 255, minus 260. You can get Lipsky around plus 215 or plus 220 as the underdog. I've got to say, I'm surprised the odds are are this wide open. I I guess I'm surprised that Montana De La Rosa is this big a favorite over anyone in the UFC because I see both of these women as being very much in the same place. They both are just like clinging on to the ledge of of being considered basically a bust. You know, two or three years ago, Montana De La Rosa was a big, athletic, young, 
grappler who had come into the UFC and like won her first three fights by pretty easy submission. Around that same time, Lipsky came into, I, I think, one of the more hyped entrances to the UFC in, in, in recent memory. You know, she was the KSW champ. She was a finish machine over there, one of the stars of the organization. I mean, to the extent it matters, you, you and I were talking about this. I mean, she is beyond cute. Like, she looks like an actress or a model, like, posing a, as a fighter, even though she is very much a fighter. But both of them have had trouble since then. Lipsky lost her first two fights right out of the gate in the UFC to, you know, decent but not top 10 contender level women. And De La Rosa has had very mixed results as well since she's kind of graduated up to the to the next level of UFC flyweights. I mean, between the two of them, they have uh, six UFC wins and five of the six women they've beaten collectively have been cut. You know, the only one that's still in the UFC is Luana Carolina, and that's just, I think, because it was so recent. Both of these women need a fight over a real live UFC quality flyweight. Um, I'm in kind of watching tape on these two and, you know, looking at their most recent fights. I was, I've been really tempted to go Lipsky. Like Lipsky is, is well-rounded. She's decent everywhere. She's just not quite as good everywhere as we thought she was, you know, a couple of years ago. I still think De La Rosa is a terrible striker. Um, you know, if it goes to the ground, I think the advantages are hers. Like, I, I think she's a better grappler. She's going to be the bigger, stronger woman. Like, she's just a very strong uh, flyweight. But I, like, as recently as like an hour ago, I was going to go with Lipsky to just kind of pity patter up, keep her, you know, at distance on, on the feet, just make her look slow on the feet and win a decision. But I flipped, I flipped this afternoon. Uh, give me Montana De La Rosa. I think she's going to find a way to get this one to the ground, you know, at least in, in the later rounds. And I don't know if she gets a finish. Uh, you know, Lipsky hasn't been submitted yet, and she can definitely take care of herself on the ground. But give me Montana De La Rosa to have her in spots of trouble, spend plenty of time in top control, get the better of the scrambles, and win two rounds out of three. All right. Um, yeah, so De La Rosa... See, I'm I'm a little higher in her striking than you are. I think she's been improving as a striker. I, I mean, I guess if you start from such a low point that it doesn't really like, obviously you'll improve and still not be that good. Uh, I think she's a okay counter striker. I think she has a long jab, throws straight punches. Though she, as I said this last time, she fought she she reaches and she lunges at times, loses technique, uh, but she does uh, surprise you with some power. She knocked a uh, knocked down. Maria, uh, Maria, oh my God, I'm messing this name up. Mara Romero Barella once. Uh, I do like her head movement. She she moves her head, keeps it off the center line a lot. She throws a lot of kicks. Uh, they are often naked though, so that that's a huge red flag. That's going to get you uh, blasted by you know the best girls. She's heavy on her lead leg, which leaves her open to leg kicks. I mean, she really struggled with the speed of Viviana Rocha in their fight, but. What I like is that she showed real toughness in that fight. Like, Arujo was so much better than her, so much more skilled. But she just toughed it to make it a, a closer fight in, in the third round. Uh, talking about De La Rosa, she, she really built as the fight went on. And I like that going forward. She's a good wrestler. Not a great wrestler, but she's got decent entries. She's relentless to get there. She has long legs. To If she gets her arms behind her hips, she can use those long legs to get some back trips. Uh, good in a scramble. 
got some good back takes due to those long legs. She can kind of um, hang off of you a little bit with those long legs. It's kind of hard to get them out. She is a submission threat. She has eight submissions on her record, though she can be a little wild going for it. Now, Lipsky, I, I'd say she's a good striker. I wouldn't say she's a great striker. Uh, I I do believe that she's probably a more technically sound striker than De La Rosa is. Uh, she is a pressure striker. She has pretty good volume, uh, okay power, solid, solid kicks. Uh, as far as the grappling, I think she's a weak offensive wrestler, though she is a submission threat. However, I was shocked against Antonina Shevchenko that not that she lost, but like the Shevchenko took her down and was beating her on the ground. So she she got pretty handled by Antonina Shevchenko on the ground. Uh, Antonina Shevchenko is known for being a fish on the ground. Now she's fighting a better wrestler, Montana De La Rosa. Uh, you said you were leaning towards Lipsky, and um, I, I'm very confident in this pick. I like De La Rosa, and I think De La Rosa is going to maul Lipsky on the ground. I'm locking in as my lock of the night. I think De La Rosa runs right through or takes her to the ground and beats her up. I think she might get a finish. Um, give me the, I'm gonna, you know what? You convinced me to say it's not going to be a finish. So give me De La Rosa by decision, but this is my lock of the night. There you go. One uh, much stronger pick in favor of uh, Mrs. De La Rosa. That brings us to what is currently scheduled as the featured prelim of UFC Vegas 28. It is a featherweight matchup between Makwan Amerkani and Kamwella Kirk. Amerkani, the 32-year-old Finn, is 16-5 and five overall. He is 6-3 and three in the UFC. He fought most recently last October, uh, dropping a unanimous decision to Edson Barboza at UFC Fight Night Marais versus Sandhagen. Previous to that, he choked Danny Henry all the way out in the first round of their matchup at UFC 251 in July. He will be welcoming to the UFC Camwella Kirk, who uh, steps up for Nate Landwehr on short notice. He and uh, Kirk most recently fought just back in May, uh, defeating uh, Daniel Swain in the main event of LFA 107. Uh, Swain quit on the stool in between rounds and literally retired. Like, not just TKO retirement, as in retired from the fight, but literally said, I quit MMA in between rounds. So that was pretty crazy. Uh, odds strongly uh, favor Amar Khani to not have that happen to him. He is minus 275, while the debuting Kirk is plus 215. Uh, Keith, what do you think about this fight? Uh, how do you think it goes? Uh, so this is a this is an interesting matchup. It's, it's one of the ones that... Um... Doesn't seem right, you know, be, being where they are in their careers. I mean, Americani's last fight was against Edson Barbosa. You know, now he's fighting a UFC newcomer. So um, I'm going to give the matchmakers a pass due to, you know, short notice fight for Kirk. Uh, Americani, Southpaw, as we were just talking about De La Rosa, I actually think Americani is a guy that has improved his striking over the years. Though he does keep his hands a little too, too low, he has a nice up jab. Uh, his step in knees, he was kind of uh, jumping in in with a step in knees against Barboza, which is which is well. Uh, a little worried about his chin though, as he was dropped twice by Barbosa in his last fight. Mind you, that's Essen Barbosa, who has done that to countless people in his UFC career. So uh, I'll, I'll give him a little pass, but it's something I am a little worried about the amount of damage he took in that fight. Uh, but Americani, he's a wrestler. He's a, he's a, rel- a relentless wrestler. Good entries, 
he tends to shoot a little too far away. He can he can telegraph his shots a little bit, which uh, Kirk can capitalize on. He's does got good top control when he gets you down. Good ground and pound. He's busy. He's a submission threat. Uh, and the con show tends to be a little bit of his uh, specialty. Now, move on to Kirk. Now, before I talk about Kirk, uh, he's a contender series guy. Brian Butler posted on social media a picture of him and telling Kirk that he got in the UFC. And I know, like, someone once said that, that you know, when they, when they have those highlight videos of when either baseball or football or someone getting, getting told to make it to the Hall of Fame, they say that's like engagement videos for men they also say the same thing with like draft picks when they first get drafted in the nfl or nba and the celebrations like men love watching them i love watching these videos too like it's it's like to me i feel it's the same thing as like an nfl draft when when they when they you see the raw emotion of someone to make the uc it's just cool i wish more managers more promoters whatever we would put those videos out more it's just it's just really cool and what i love is when he when they told him he was in he didn't even ask who he was fighting. He just was like, "Oh, that's great!" Like, well, I watched the whole video. And he's like, "He never asked," and I'm like, "You know what? Good for him. Good for him for not asking." Uh, that said, he's got a tough test in his UFC debut. Um, so Kirk on the feet, he can be a little low output. Uh, he tends to to be more of a kicker than a puncher. He throws kicks to all parts of the body. His teep kick is his best strike. He doesn't really check kicks though. Uh, in the clinch, strong clinch fighter, good knees, good elbows. He likes trips in the clinch. He will get takedowns by um, for, like backing up and having his opponent like overpress, and he drops down on a reactionary double. On the ground, good ground and pound. He's a very good grappler. This is a two-time world champion in BJJ. Uh, can get subs from all positions. Takedown defense is nothing short of terrible, though, and that happens a lot when you have uh, good grapplers. They, in the, in the jiu-jitsu room, they're willing to fall on their back. A lot of times in jiu-jitsu rooms, they start on their butt. They start in these positions, so you you can see why they don't defend takedowns. It's more natural to fall on the back. Uh, the, another issue I didn't like in, in the regional scene is I've seen him slow down late in fights. Cardo is a little bit of an issue. He's taking this fight on short notice, which could obviously, one, the UFC jitters they talk about, the adrenaline dump, but also taking a fight on short notice. You know, how prepared was he? This is a solid fight on the card like it's even though the odds favor americani really well i'm excited for kirk like i like i think he's a good addition to the ufc uh i think he's a guy that uh you know truly deserves this that said americani is a really tough test for anybody in the ufc debut it could couldn't he catch americani on the sub especially considering americani wants to get the fight to the ground i think we should have some really fun scrambles on the ground but i think americani is going to do enough to not get caught in the submissions win just to control time, some ground and pound. Give me Americani by decision. Yeah, I'm like you. I'm obviously, you know, I'm surprised to see Kirk in the UFC this quickly and this suddenly. I'm excited for him to be in the UFC, but this is this is a rough first ask because, yeah, not only is it on, uh, you know, short turnaround, short notice uh, against an opponent that really kind of lines up disadvantageously against Kirk's own strengths. But I mean, he's fighting at featherweight when he fought at lightweight like six weeks ago, you know, so it, he's dropping another 10 pounds that he's really not accustomed to. He's been a, a lightweight in, uh, in LFA, at least in his last couple fights. So yeah, uh, a, a little concerning 
it's it's tough for me to, to pick Amar Khani to submit a grappler as good as Kirk is, but it's kind of the way I see it going. Like Amar Khani is, and you talked about how he sometimes shoots from too far out. I almost think he does that because he's like, well, you know, at, at, at the worst, you know, I know where I'm going to end up. And most of my submissions come from the front headlock, you know, guillotines and anaconda chokes. He's clearly very comfortable there. He's going to be bigger and stronger than Kirk. Uh, I have the feeling that uh, if this goes, you know, past the middle of the second round, uh, Kirk will be the one who is fading again, just because of the weight cut, the short notice. So uh, give me Amarkani and give, give me the old Makwan Amarkani, Mr. Finland special. Give me an Anaconda choke, maybe a, a Darce choke or, or a guillotine in the second round. The UFC Fight Night 189 main card kicks off with a middleweight matchup between Tom Brees and Antonio Hoyo. Brees, the 29-year-old from Birmingham, is 12-3 overall. He is 5-3 in the UFC. Uh, he fought most recently just in January, uh, losing via second-round submission to Omari Akhmedov. Previous to that, he uh, fought last October at UFC Fight Night, Marais versus Sandhagen, knocking out KB Buller in the first round. He will be taking on Ahoyo, who is still in search of his first UFC win after two successful appearances on Dana White's Contender Series Brazil. Uh, Ahoyo is 9-4 and four overall. He is 0-2 in the UFC. Uh, he lost his UFC debut to Andre Munez by unanimous decision back in November of 2019. He came back last December at UFC Fight Night Thompson versus Neil and dropped a unanimous decision to uh, Duran Wynn. Odds in this one do favor the Brit. He is minus 235. You can get Ahoyo out there at, my, at plus 190, plus 195 or so. Keith, uh, obviously, you know, Tom Brees has made uh, news, at least within the sport, for being open about his struggles with anxiety and mental health, as well as obviously his, you know, issues with his physical health that have kept him out for long stretches. And then, you know, we have Ahoyo, who... Uh, still in search of his first UFC win. Somebody's got to win. Who is it and how? Yeah, it's tough. So Tom Brees is just such a wild card in, in the division. As you mentioned, he's been open about his anxiety, any kind of mental um, issues he has. We talked about it on the recap. We talked about it on, on previews. Uh, I, I don't want to glaze over that. Like I look at someone having a any struggles mentally as same as if they had struggles physically with something because it's as real as you know someone who has anxiety. Anxiety can affect you as much as if he had a concussion. You know, like like it's it's not good to have. Now, the worst thing about that is you don't see it on film. Like you you or you don't see it in the gym. You know. Um, you see, a, when you look at Tom Brees, you see a very technically sound fighter. He's a southpaw, quick hands, accurate hands, great job, uh, great uh, jab. He knocked down KB Bueller with a great jab. Uh, he likes, I like his leg kicks. However, I simply just don't trust the things I can't see. I mean, he beat KB Bueller, who took the fight on short notice, but then I saw him going against Brennan Allen. And Brent Allen like bull rushed him down, and he looked like he quit to me. 
Amari Akhmedov in his last fight, he looked like he quit to me. Will he, if things aren't going perfectly well like it was going to KB Bueller, will he quit? Will he, will, you know, the, the brain tear him down? I don't know. Arroyo, also southpaw, he, though he does switch his stance a lot. He likes to fight at both stances. He's a brawler on the feet. He throws everything hard, throws hard hooks. Kicks are a little bit of his specialty. We'll throw spinning kicks. Good takedowns. Um, he, he's not much of a submission. Though. He's more of a, like he likes to stall on top. He you know just hold you down and just win by position. Uh, and he has faded in fights. Who am I taking? Man, I I don't like taking Breeze in fights. I've I've I, I've kind of given up on him. I said that in the last fight. Um, I really want him to get over this stuff. I don't. I don't. And I'm not saying his loss to Madoff was a a mental lapse thing or anything like that. It simply could have been Mike Madoff's better than him. But I feel like Breeze is a better fighter than he's shown. He has faced a better competition than these two. He is the more technically sound. However, it, it's hard to trust him. But I'm just going to go with what I can see on paper, and I see Breeze is better. Technically, so uh, give me Breeze by decision, but I have zero confidence in my pick. Yeah, all right. I mean, that this is going to be a, a pretty quick cosign from me. Uh, yeah, and I, I like how you, you talked about, you know, Breeze's uh, admitted, you know, mental issues, basically the same as, as if they were a physical thing. Like, you know, for the rest of his career, if he ever fights again, we are all going to hold our breath every time Chris Weidman checks a leg kick. Is this the time it gives out on him again? I, I feel the same way, you know, when somebody is putting it on Tom Brees. Luckily for him here, Ahoyo's like best avenues to to victory are things that Brees is well equipped to deal with. Like like you said, he's the more technical uh, striker, and he is. A, I mean, Ahoyo obviously is the one that like is just jacked out of his mind, but Brees is a plus plus athlete. Like he is fast, explosive, strong. Um, like if Ahoyo comes at him like winging like those, you know, really hard body kicks from both stances and and throwing his hooks, that's stuff that Brees is well equipped to deal with. Uh, and be because Ahoyo is so jacked and throws everything so hard, as you pointed out, his gas tank is questionable late in fights. Brees is really is not. You know, the times Brees has, has lost in the UFC, it's not been because he was tired. Like, in fact, it's been fairly early in the fight a couple of times. So this is a, I mean, this is a very winnable fight for Tom Brees. I, I expect him to build some confidence here. And, and who knows, like, you know, maybe maybe he has a new lease on life. For as long as he's been in the UFC and as long as some of his uh, absences have been, it's kind of crazy to me that he's still just 29 years old. Like, he's a couple years younger than Antonio Hoyo. Uh, give me Brees to win a decision in this one. And, hey, you know, uh, that's going to be a good feeling for him. And, and we'll see him next time out. We stay in the middleweight division as Dusko Todorovic welcomes short-notice opponent Gregory Rodriguez to the UFC. Todorovic, the 27-year-old Serb, is 10-1 and overall. He is 1-1 and since joining the UFC out of Dana White's Contender Series Season 3. He won his uh, UFC debut last October, knocking out Dequan Townsend, uh, then lost to Punahele Soriano in January uh, via first round TKO. He was scheduled to take on Maki Patolo, 
he will instead now be taking on uh, Rodriguez, the 29-year-old Brazilian, and uh, I believe the third fighter on this card uh, picked out of LFA uh, within the last month to fill holes. Uh, Rodriguez fought most recently in May, winning the LFA middleweight title, which pretty much guarantees him a ticket to the UFC as he joins previous champs Eric Anders, Marcus Perez, Anthony Hernandez, Ian Heinish, and Brendan Allen. That would be five LFA middleweight champs in a row who were picked by the UFC, I believe all of them, before they even had a chance to defend the belt once. It literally is contender series, like as you were saying uh, between segments here, Keith. In fact, the guy he beat in May, uh, Josh Fremd, is like the only LFA middleweight champ in like the last five years not to get called straight to the UFC. And he'll probably be in the UFC within the next year anyway because he's actually a pretty good fighter. UFC past, present, and future alumni, Josh Fremd. There you go. Yep. <laughs> well, there, there you go. The shilling curse. That's why he lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll cut that prospect. out of the final video, so otherwise nobody's gonna like sign yeah, up. No, no, there's been, there's been a couple of that uh, <laughs> that that lost. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, uh, the the odds makers do favor Todorovic here. He is uh, minus one forty five. Uh, Rodriguez, a slight underdog at plus one twenty five, but fairly close odds, all things considered. I'm still not sure what Todorovic does that well, like does that well at, at a UFC level. Like he's a fairly like he 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 fights. He appears bigger in the cage than his listed height and weight. Like he seems like a rangy guy. He seems like deceptively strong when he gets his hands on his opponent. Uh, prefers, you know, he's a, he prefers to strike. On the on the regionals in Europe, he seemed to want to fight an outfight, but he at the, at the UFC level, he seems comfortable uh, in the clinch and in boxing range as well, or as comfortable as as he is anywhere else. Rodriguez is super aggressive on the feet, uh, super aggressive on the ground. I don't know like what he's going to look like against Todorovic, I, especially on this short notice. He looks like a guy who cuts a lot of weight. For me, Todorovic, as the more known quantity, I'm going to go with him to win a decision. He's shown himself to be tough and durable, which is important against a guy who is bent on the finish like Rodriguez is. And uh, his gas tank has been at, at least adequate, and I have the feeling it'll be an advantage for him, again, against a big, muscular dude uh, coming back to fight on short turnaround and short notice. So, yeah, give me Todorovic by decision. Yeah, it's it's crazy that Rodriguez is is not only is he making his debut on short notice, but he fought like a week ago. He was that it's that quick of a turnaround. I mean, yeah, sure he had a quick win, but uh, yeah. So Todorovic is a guy that I did like coming out of the contender series. He, he he's one of the guys that I was most impressed with. Uh, I, I understand where you're coming from because he has glimmers of things that I really like, and it's and sometimes. I can tend to grasp on a single point and then and then kind of grow from there instead of realizing maybe that's just one area that he's elite at and everything else is is not. Uh, what what I know about this guy, this guy is southpaw. I think he's a technical striker, great good jab. I like that he works the body, nice pop on his hands. He does stand a little too high with his hands low, and this is a guy who he has very good head movement, but he relies totally on his head movement, which is a Big, big uh, no-no, especially 
he got blasted in his last fight, a fight that I thought he was doing well until he got blasted. Uh, and his chin could be an issue as he was knocked out in his last fight. And you wonder, one, if his chin can hold up, two, is he going to be gun shy? Uh, but when if he gets in close, he's good in the clinch. I like that he's the guy who looks for the clinch, so he's kind of on the offensive a lot in that, those clinches. He can he can just grind out in the clinch. He's a good wrestler. He's got some trip takedowns. He got some throws. Good top control. Good ground and pound. Constantly looking to advance position. He does have three submission wins on his record, uh, so he's well rounded. Uh, move over to Rodriguez. He is big. As you mentioned, he's a big, strong guy. He stands. He stands up tall. He throws wild. He th- and he hits hard. Um, he has been hurt in the past a lot of times on the regional scene. Uh, he can get if he gets in the inside takedowns from the clinch uh, and from outside entries. Good, uh, good at taking his opponents back from the. Uh, sorry, he's good at he's good at backing his opponent up. And then kind of doing uh, wrestling, either sometimes you call it a duck under, or you actually can do what they call a, a slide by, where he gets the opponent's back while standing. I've seen that a lot. Uh, but if not, he gets there, body lock takedowns, good trips inside. He'll throw a judo throw. He got some good entries from the outside. Though on his entries, sometimes he'll just duck his head and just shoot in instead of setting it up. And that's going to get you a knee in the head. It's going to get you uppercut. That's going to get you caught in a guillotine. Um, and sometimes when he backs up his opponents, if he can't get like that slide by, I said, he'll just drop down on the legs and grab the legs and just muscle his opponent up in the air, uh, because he's so physically strong, strong ground and pound. He is a legit submission threat though. As it seems like, it seems like a theme on this card. He's one of these guys willing to lose position to try to get a submission. This is going to be a fun fight. It's my fight of the night pick. Both guys are willing to brawl if it stays on the feet. Both guys hit hard. I think Todorovic is a little cleaner. Uh, the grappling exchanges could be fun if it's in, in the open. We might get a little bit of a boring affair against the fence, but if it's in the open, uh, Rodriguez has really good BJJ. Todorovic has really good wrestling, so I'm really intrigued to see who wins those battles. I am going to take Todorovic. He is the more technically sound fighter. Uh, he has faced... Um, well, I was going to say that he faced better competition, but I actually think they faced, you know, fairly similar competition. Uh, but when I broke both these guys on the contender search, Tavorovic was the guy that I initially liked a lot better. I definitely feel um, I don't like him as much anymore. Like, I've, I've kind of got off that bandwagon a little bit more. And Rodriguez is a guy that, you know, he's coming off a big win. Maybe I should have took a second look at him. But I'm still going to go with my first gut call, and I'm going to go with Tavorovic. I'm going to take him by decision. There you go. Two picks in favor of the Serb. The UFC Vegas 28 main card soldiers on with what, for me at least, uh, is the this people's main event. Uh, it is a welterweight clash between Santiago Ponzinibbio and Miguel Baeza. Uh, Ponzinibbio, the 32-year-old Argentinian, is 27-4 and overall. He is 9-3 and in the UFC. Uh, he is coming off a loss. He was knocked out by uh, Li Jingliang in the first round of their matchup at UFC on ABC One back in January. That was uh, Ponzinibbio's first fight back from a two-year layoff due to a variety of injuries and illnesses. Previous to that, he had been on a sensational seven-fight win streak uh, over increasingly solid opposition. I mean, he beat Neil Magny, Gunnar Nelson, uh, you know, some solid guys. Uh, but it doesn't take much 
in the UFC welterweight division for you to lose a whole lot of momentum. Uh, this is basically his chance to preserve any of it. And he is taking on a guy in Baeza that is all of a sudden one of the UFC's hot properties. Uh, Baeza, the Miami native who goes by Caramel Thunder, is 28 years old. He is a perfect 10-0 in his mixed martial arts career. He is 3-0 since joining the UFC out of Dana White's Contender Series uh, Season 3. He beat Hector Aldana in his uh, debut back in 2019. Then last year, survived a wild first round with Matt Brown uh, to knock him out early in the second at UFC on ESPN Overeem versus Harris. Uh, came back at UFC on ESPN uh, Smith versus Clark in November and uh, choked out Takashi Sato with an arm triangle choke in the second round. Uh, perhaps because of their differing momentum, a uh, longtime uh, contender, Ponzinibbio, is actually the slight underdog here. He is even money, or you can even get him at plus 105 or so, where Baeza is minus 120 to minus 125 as the slight favorite. How do you see this one breaking down, and is this your most looked forward to fight of the night? Yeah, so I just made my last pick in my fight of the night, but this is definitely the one I'm most intrigued by because it's such a good test to kind of know where both guys are. If Ponzinibbio wins, okay, then he's still one of the top welterweights. But if Baeza wins, what a great test, you know, beating Ponzinibbio. But also what really intrigues me is I don't know what we have in Ponzinibbio because, you know, he he got knocked out by Lee Jilong after a huge long layoff. But it was so quick. Was it they lose a step? Is it pl plain as simple as Lee Jilong is a really good fighter? Or, you know, was it just a, yeah, he lost this one little brief thing? Like, we're going to kind of know. If if Baeza runs through him, then we know Ponzinibbio is done. You know, not necessarily that that Baeza isn't a really good fighter. Like I kind of think it will answer both those questions. Now I'm gonna really go by from what I've last seen of. I shouldn't say not. I don't want to say I last seen what we we saw of Ponzinibbio before he, he the big break because to me the the fight was too short to really learn anything from Ponzinibbio. So I'm gonna go back to like when I could really study him. He was a very technically sound striker, fast hands, good movement, great footwork. Mixes in punches and kicks very well together. Uh, I, I love one of my favorite fights is him against Mike Perry. This is the one that I really watched because, one, it was one of the best shows in Navio. Two, I love watching Mike Perry get his ass beat. Um, Damian Comer pointed out in, in the Perry fight was that he was kicking the inside leg. And this was absolutely brilliant. You have to watch this. And, and brilliant of Ponzinibbio, brilliant of DC to catch this. Uh, he was, and I said this in the last night we talked about Ponzinibbio. That's why I want to point out a second time. Ponzinibbio was kicking the inside leg of Mike Perry to actually line up his right fist. He was literally moving Mike Perry to line up his right fist, uh, his right hand. It was absolutely brilliant. Uh, check it out. Uh, it's one of my favorite catches I've seen in a breakdown in forever. That's why I mentioned it a second time. And probably next time we talk about Ponzinibbio, he might be fighting in the prelims opener and he completely washed up. And I'm still going to talk about how brilliant he looked against Mike Perry. Uh, he, but he uses traps. He, he finds angles. He cuts angles. Uh, he sets up a lot of his strikes with his shoulder feints. He understands range. He has great vision, works behind a jab, throws combos, good power. Uh, his counter left hook is his, like, kill switch punch. Uh, I would say decent power. Um, I know I just said good. 
it's not great, but it's definitely one of the better. You know, he's one of the harder punchers in the division. But what makes him great is not that his power, but if he hurts you, he has the killer instinct to put it on you, take you out, go into the body, uh, kicking your legs out. Uh, he loves the calf kicks. He isn't really known for his grappling, but he can sneak in some takedowns um, just to keep his opponent honest. He's not a threat necessarily on the ground, but he's enough to to, to win around. round. Uh, and, he, and he's got good cardio. Now move over to Baeza. He looked great in his last fight against Takashi Sato. Like, I picked Takashi Sato to win. I wasn't on the Baeza hype train. Uh, but I had to take a second look after that fight. He looked great. He's well-rounded. Uses movement well, which is very interesting against a guy like Ponzinibbio. He's a good boxer. Works also works behind a jab. Very accurate straight hand. Decent power. He still lacks head movement, and he tends to stand straight up. And he doesn't like being pressured. We saw all those things in the Matt Brown fight when he actually did get in trouble. But he's still young enough where he could be changed. That we didn't see that in the saddle fight because I mean he had such his his way in that one. Uh, he's got some good takedowns. Uh, he, he, you know, he's not an NCAA level wrestler or anything like that, but he's got some good entries, good ground and pound. He's not a huge submission threat, which is which is um, you know disturbing. He only has one submission win in his career. Um, but so, oh, one thing I, I didn't talk about his kicks. He's got kicks everywhere. That's actually one of his best kicks, and uh, he really focuses on his calf kicks. So, as far as prediction goes, someone tweeted it out, and I apologize. I don't remember who tweeted it, but they said. If you put Baeza as a favorite over Ponzinibbio like 18 months ago, you've been laughed at. It, it, like Ponzinibbio would have been like a negative 500 favorite. So that's why this is so intriguing to the, this point where people are taking Baeza. I've been high on Ponzinibbio. I wasn't high on Baeza. Um, obviously, my opinion on both of them have kind of changed the way. Like you know, a little bit lower on Ponzinibbio than I was a year ago. Obviously, much higher on Baeza than I was a year ago. But this is still a big test. This is still a big te- uh, step up for Baeza. So I, I, I don't know how many upsets I've picked at this point, but I've picked a lot. And I'm going to do it again. I'm going to take Ponzinibbio. I think he's going to land some big shots. Uh, I think he might catch Baeza. And I actually think he might put him out. So give me Ponzinibbio. I'm going to say give me Ponzinibbio by second round knockout. I thought I was going to be able to bring like some new, fresh perspective to this breakdown and then right in your home stretch there you stole all the words out of my mouth because yeah my thought was Baeza is a guy that if I mean if he had been Ponzinibbio's come like return fight instead of uh instead of Lee yeah Ponzinibbio w- would have been probably like minus, minus 300 because Baeza point. is exactly that's a good point I know an interview that's a really good point yeah like like Baeza is exactly the type of guy that Ponzinibbio would have just completely chewed up and spit out in, in 2018. So the real question is, do you believe in the Lee fight? Like, do you believe that that is an indication of where Ponzinibbio is now and, and where he's headed going forward? Like, is he that compromised? Is he going to be gun shy, have those injuries and illnesses and just being 34 years old and such a blood and guts fighter? Have they taken something out of him? If you believe that, then yeah, Baez is your, your righteous favorite here, even though it's close to a pick him. If not, yeah, this is a huge step up for Baeza. For me, I'm not giving Ponzinibbio a complete mulligan on the Lee fight. Like a loss is a loss, and I, you know, you, you who do these recaps with me, you know that I harp on the thing that uh, welterweight is the toughest division in the UFC to break into the top 15, and it's the one where a single loss will send a guy back 
to the back of the line worse than any other division, even than like lightweight and featherweight that are probably better divisions overall. Just welterweight is the most unforgiving. I'm giving him a little bit of forgiveness here. And man, I've picked wrong against Baeza both of the last times. I picked Matt Brown against him and I was wrong. I picked Akashi Sato against him and I was wrong. It's apparently just going to need to be three for three before I learn my lesson about Miguel Baeza because I see Baeza getting put on uh, roller skates by Matt Brown in the first round of their fight. And I think even this version of Ponzinibbio finishes that. So give me Santiago Ponzinibbio to get this thing back on the rails. I'm taking him to finish Baez in the first round, and this is my upset special. We head to the middleweight division for a matchup between Roman Dolidze and late-notice opponent Loriano Staropoli. Uh, Dolidze, the 32-year-old Georgian, is 8-1 overall. He is 2-1 uh, in the UFC. Uh, he just took the first loss of his career back in March, uh, dropping a unanimous decision to Trevin Giles in his uh, middleweight debut. He had actually gone 2-0 uh, and in his first two UFC fights at light heavyweight, for whatever reason, dropped to middleweight. Uh, the, the initial results were not good, but nonetheless, he is sticking with it. And he had been scheduled to take on Alessio DeCurico, DeCurico pulled out, and the UFC said, well, at least let's get another guy with an Italian-sounding name. It is the Argentinian Loriano Staropoli, the 28-year-old from uh, Buenos Aires, is 9-3 and three overall. He is 2-1 uh, two and one in the UFC, or sorry, he is 2-2 two and two in the UFC. Uh, those fights all having taken place at uh, welterweight, however. He won his first two UFC fights over Hector Aldana and Tiago Alves, uh, Dropped his first uh, UFC loss to Muslim Salikov back in October of 2019. He fought just once last year, dropping a unanimous decision to Tim Means at UFC Fight Night Lewis versus Olenek. Uh Odds do slightly favor uh, the leads here. He is minus 140, where Steropoli is plus 120. Uh, I've got to say, like, I'm not sold on the Roman Dolides at 185 pounds experiment. But nonetheless, I'm surprised he's not more of a favorite here. He is a guy moving down from 205 pounds. And you and I both agreed that we didn't know where he was going to find those 20 pounds to lose. Cause the dude has like muscles on his breath. Uh, but he did it. I mean, he, he lost to, to Giles, but it, it wasn't even as though he just like gassed out and fell apart. He, he just lost cause Giles beat him. Uh, so, I mean, he can make 185 and he can apparently fight for three rounds at a moderate pace, but he's taking on a guy in Staropoli who was moving up from welterweight. The uh, leads isn't that tall. In fact, he might not even be the taller guy in the cage once they face off, but his advantages in strength are going to be shocking. Um, you know, the uh, leads is, I mean, he is, a, a, I believe, a grappler and, and wrestler by preference he has gotten you know some knockouts on his record but they were just clubbing badly overmatched people on the regional circuit you know over in uh in eastern europe uh what he wants to do is is take his man down and uh choke him out or rip his legs off i think he's going to be able to do that to uh to steropoli i'll be interested to, to to get your take on how things you know match up on the feet between them but for me it's pretty straightforward you know, the leads is durable enough 
to walk through the best of whatever Staropoli is going to be able to give him. I have no faith that Staropoli has knockout power at 185 pounds. I think the leads takes him down, uh, beats him up a little bit, and then just takes us back and chokes him out. Give me the leads by first round submission. Yeah, so Delete's as you mentioned, I mean this guy is absolutely jacked. He's like the male version of Ariana Conolosi. Like he's just muscle on top of muscle. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, so surprisingly, even though when you look at him, he he fights. Well, I shouldn't say he fights differently, but his his attributes are, are, are much different than you expect. Like even though he's jacked, he's actually a pretty technically sound fighter, but he isn't a great athlete. Like you usually look at someone who's jacked and think they're like this fantastic explosive athlete, but might not be technically sound, more of a brawler. And that's not really him. Uh, he's kind of slow, uh, but he makes up for it by being technical. He uses a lot of feints. Uh, on the regional scene, he did have some issues. Like last time we broke down film, I talked about his low output. That wasn't the case in his last fight against Trevin Giles. Like he, he, he was busy. He actually was more busy than Trevin Giles uh, early in that fight. Uh, he loves his overhand right. He does have. Good power. It's it's not huge power, but his 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 left hook is 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 pretty powerful. Um, he will load up on a lot of things, which is not good. I actually think he should flow more. Like when he flows, he's he's much better than him when he loads up. Uh, he has uh, he has a quick high kick. Uh, he does check leg kicks, which I like. Talk about like the technical things about him. He's a very solid wrestler. Looks for takedowns a lot. If he gets you down, as you mentioned, he's a submission threat. Moving to Staropoli, uh, this is the guy, and I, I said I'll stop talking about guys who fight from both stances. This is the guy he, I had to mention he fights from both stances because he does it so much. He's constantly switching. Uh, he has a very slip and rip style. Really depends on uh, just getting out of the way of shots to land his own shots. Some serious snap in his shots, that's at 170. Like, again, you mentioned you don't know if that power is going to go with him up to 185. But he has high output. I love that he throws, like when he counter shots, he throws combinations. He does get hit a lot, though. And one thing I notice, he gets hit a lot because he likes to admire his work. And what I mean by that is he likes to look and try to see him landing the cleanest punches instead of just flowing. Um, he loves his spinning attacks. He's got a lot of spinning back kicks and spinning uh, back punches and uh, has hard, hard leg kicks. But he struggled in the clinch against Tim Means. Uh, Tim Means backed him up against defense, beat him up in the clinch. Very weak takedown defense. Uh, he did work to his feet a lot, though. He was hard to hold down. But he slowed against Tim Means in his last fight. Uh, Staropoli, he he's pretty good on the feet. Like I think he's the better um, striker. I I think power will go with him because he was not a small welterweight. I mean, he actually missed weight in his last fight, which is why he's moving up. Uh, but he he didn't – I don't think he struggled with the power until he got inside. When Tim Means, who is – you know, he's a very big welterweight. Somehow he always makes weights, but he's, he's, a, he's a big guy himself. Uh, he struggled inside with Tim Means. And now you got a guy, as you as we mentioned, that used to fight at light heavyweight. You got a guy, you're really almost facing a guy two weight classes above, who is obviously such physically imposing. I'm not nearly as confident that the leads submits Staropoli as you, but I'm pretty confident. Like I agree with you. I think the Lions should just because of the size advantage. I think the leads should be a bigger favorite. So give me the leads. I'm gonna. I, I'm not high enough in the leads to get a stoppage. So I'm gonna say he wins by decision. Two picks in favor of Roman DeLeeds to get his first win at middleweight in the UFC. 
That brings us to the co-main event of UFC Fight Night 189. It is a heavyweight matchup between Marcin Tybura and Walt Harris. Off the top, I mentioned that while there are a number of recognizable names on this card, uh, not a whole lot of people with momentum behind them. There are six heavyweights fighting on this card. Tybura is the only one of the six coming off a win. But in fairness to him, he's coming off four straight. Uh, he is 35 years old from Poland, 21 and six overall, eight and five in the UFC. That aforementioned four fight winning streak uh, consists of uh, all four fights last year. Sergey Spivak in February, Maxime Grishin in July, Ben Rothwell in uh, October, and most recently in December at UFC Fight Night, Thompson versus Neil, Greg Hardy, uh, whom he uh, knocked out through an accumulation of damage in the second round uh, of their matchup. Uh, he is taking on Harris. The 37-year-old Alabaman is 13-9 and with one no contest overall. He is 6-8 and eight with one no contest in the UFC, though two of those losses were in a super, super early career stint in the UFC. He's basically 6-6 six and six with one no contest on this UFC run. Uh, he is on a two-fight losing streak himself, uh, having lost to Alistair Overeem last May in the headliner of UFC on ESPN 8 uh, after having a very successful first round. Uh, then getting knocked out in the second round by Alexander Volkov in uh, October at UFC 254. Despite the conflicting trajectories of these two men, one on a four-fight winning streak, one on a two-fight losing streak, uh, odds are fairly close. Tiber is a minus 170 favorite. Harris, uh, plus 150 as the underdog. I mean, Keith, in a just world, Harris, you know, one of the most heartbreaking like human stories in the in high level MMA in the last year or two would be on a win streak right now. It'd be a Hollywood ending, but instead he is on some pretty rough streets uh, professionally, as well as obviously the tragic loss of his uh, stepdaughter last year. Does he get it done against Tybura? Yeah, I mean, if the MMA gods had a heart, he would have beat Alistair over him. No, 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 just Alistair over him. You know, he's stand up guy himself, and and. I really felt for Alistair Overeem to kind of be in a position where, you know, nobody on earth other than maybe Overeem's mother was rooting for him, you know, um, it's just unfortunately not how it plays out. Um, Harris, he, he's a Southpaw. He's extremely explosive. And I, I hate saying that, you know, when you talk about black athletes and the, fast twitch muscle like there's so many stereotyping anytime you, you talk about black like you say explosive that ain't the case with walt harris it's not like a stereotype like he really is i mean this is the guy he high level ncaa basketball like he thought he was gonna you know go on to the nba he, he's a, he's a fantastic athlete though he's not technical though he he really wings his punches he he has a little bit of a um like uh backyard brawling style to him where he'll punch through your punch through your blocks but if he touches you with his winging shot he'll put you out because he's got crazy power uh if he knocks you down he gets on top really i mean scary ground pound. i mean when you have someone as big as walt harris is as hard hitting however he's a terrible wrestler he's one of the worst wrestlers in in the heavyweight division he struggles on the bottom i mean you look go back you know short Short memory, go back to the Alistair Overeem fight. He was doing extremely well 
until Al Sorovrim survived the onslaught, took him down, held him down, and Walt Harris had no answer. Now, I want to credit Al Sorovrim. We've talked about Al Sorovrim many times. That's Al Sorovrim's game. He's an extremely underrated wrestler. He's he's really fantastic grappler, Al Sorovrim. He doesn't get enough credit, uh, as we'll talk about. And he did the same thing to Augusta Sakai. Um, but Will Harris really struggled to get up on bottom. He also unloads on everything where he, he fades. He fades pretty early. Now, move up to Tybora. He, like I said about Staropoli, he's a guy who likes to fight for both stances, though he's the complete opposite of Bison Tybora. He's not a great athlete. He's kind of slow, but he makes up for it by being technically sound. He's a high-output guy. Uh, he definitely likes to be the bull and not the matador. He fights best when he's moving forward and backing up his opponents. Uh, he can strike from – he kind of has a striking background. He can strike um, from both distance, but he's best striking if he's in close up in, in the uh, kind of forcing you on your back foot. I, I like um, his front kick that he uses to back his opponent up. He really – he wants it to be a grueling fight, and he uses – his striking to not set up his takedowns, but actually to put him in a position to get the takedown, if that, if that makes sense. Like, he doesn't use his striking to, like, all right, I'm going to distract him and then come for a takedown. He's more like, I'm going to use your striking to back you up where I want you, and then I'm going to shoot my takedowns. Um, he likes to get to the clinch. Uh, we'll just get in the clinch, grind against you, uh, grab, you know, an underhook, and just, you know, Put his head in your chin, moving your head around, just kind of wearing you out that way, annoying you. Um, he will, you know, while he's distracting you with, you know, little peppering shots, and suddenly he drops down on a single, runs the pipe, takes you down. Uh, uh, if you if you stand on the outside and you throw a kick, like he'll catch a kick, he's willing to do that. But he's a really good grappler. He's a Brazilian, just a black belt. I mean, you saw in his last fight, not fair, but he schooled Greg Hardy on the ground. Like I said, that's not fair because Greg Hardy is very green. But like, I would take Walt Harris to out grapple Greg Hardy in a in a grapple match. But he would like wouldn't shock me if Greg Hardy won, that, you know, the grapple match. So I think that's a fair comparison. Uh, I've I've kind of had a seesaw um, way with Walt Harris how I viewed him when he first came to the UFC. I looked at him as like a terrible heavyweight. Then I got like pretty high on him. Like, wow, man, this guy's pretty good. And then. I realized, like, no, man, he still struggles on the ground. He still has cardio issues. So I kind of, you know, I've gone way, I was way down, way up, now I'm way back down. And I feel the same way with Tavora, where it's kind of high on him. We're coming in as a prospect. Then he went through a little patch where I was like, oh, I kind of give him a. And then now lately, he's kind of got some pretty good wins. Um, not counting the Ben Rothwell win. I, I, that one, I still don't know how I feel about it. However, what I'll say about this, Walt Harris has a very good chance to just catch Tavora and put him out extremely early in this fight but every second that goes on in this fight i think it increases tybora's chance of winning i think tybora is going to withstand that onslaught i think he might just bum rush him get in the clinch and stop wearing him out that way maybe sneaking a takedown and i think he just slowly ties out will harris and I think he takes over, beats him up in the clinch, gets some takedowns, and then finally finishes him off in the second round with some ground and pound. You know what I hate? I hate that I know you're right, but I'm going to pick against you. 
here's the thing. I, I you know I just barely said a few minutes ago that I've picked incorrectly against Miguel Baeza in his last two fights, and apparently it's going to take a third time for me to get the lesson through my skull because I picked Ponzinibbio. I just looked. Tibera is on a four-fight win streak, and I have picked against him each of those times. Each of them. Like, I I apparently just have not gotten through my skull that Tiber has turned things around and he's, like, having this renaissance as a 35-year-old heavyweight. I mean, on an X's and O's, well, not, not even really X's and O's, but just demonstrable history level, Tiber is capable of being caught and put away early. Like, several people have done it to him. And the people that have done it to him, none of them hit as hard as Walt Harris does. Which, I mean, which is what I thought Greg Hardy was going to do to him. I thought, you know, it's going to be sloppy. It's going to be ugly. But Greg Hardy's going to catch up with something and put him down. Uh, I agree with you that Hardy is a terrible. Uh, I mean, Hardy might have the worst ground game in the UFC. Uh, you know, uh, sure dog play by play man. Jay Petri uh, called him. I think like he looked like a turtle that had been turned over. Like just not, not even a clue how to like where to begin to get back up. Yeah. Uh, and that with like a big dude on top of him punching him. Walt Harris's ground game probably isn't quite that bad. And as wild as Walt Harris is, I think he's a little classier striker than Hardy. So it's going to take five times in a row, apparently, for me to learn my lesson about Martin Tybura, because I am picking Walt Harris to knock him out in the first round. So what's what's the number that when Tybura finally gets that many wins in a row, that we have to get him on the show and you have to apologize to him? Oh, man. Uh, Seven... I'll I'll go five. I'll I'll reach out to him if I'm wrong right. this time. <laughs> <laughs> I want to I want to point out we both agreed that Walt Harris is was the hardest hitter of anybody who's beaten uh, Tybora. Um, Derek Lewis might be in that category though. We did. Oh, I, 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 for, I dude, we did forget about Derek Lewis. Hey, you know that's something Tybora and I both have in common. Neither of us can remember the finish from the from the <laughs> Lewis fight. Right. <laughs> We arrive at the main event of UFC Fight Night 189. It is Jairzinho Rosenstrike versus Augusto Sakai in a battle of dangerous big men looking to get back on track after some losses. Uh, Rosenstrike, the 33-year-old from Suriname, is 11-2 overall. He is 5-2 in the UFC. He fought most recently in February in the headliner of UFC Fight Night 186, dropping a, well, frankly, kind of dispirited uh, five-round decision to top contender Surreal Gone. Previous to that, he knocked out Junior Dos Santos in the second round at UFC 252 last August. Before that, uh, he was knocked out in a wild 20 seconds by Francis Ngannou back, in UFC, back at UFC 249 uh, last May. Uh, he'll be taking on Sakai. The 30-year-old Brazilian is 15-2-1 overall. He is 4-1 in the UFC. Uh, he lost to Alistair Overeem by fifth-round TKO on the ground at, in the headliner of UFC Fight Night 176 last September. That put an end to a four-fight winning streak that he had amassed upon joining the UFC out of Dana White's con uh, contender series Brazil. He had beaten Chase Sherman, Andrei Arlovsky, Marcin Tybura, and Blagoj Ivanov. Rosenstrike, the slight favorite here, out there at minus 130. Sakai is available at plus 110 as the underdog. Uh, this, for me, you know, I, I write a column for SureDog 
uh, each week about, you know, the upcoming event. And it's called Stand and Deliver. And it's really just about a couple fighters on the card who there are especially high stakes in their fight, just more to gain or more to lose than just the win or loss on paper. I put Rosenstrike on there because this is kind of the prove it fight for him. He rocketed right into the top 10, mostly because he was just, he, he was so devastating. It was kind of similar to Francis Ngannou where he was knocking out good fighters in like 30 seconds to the point where like, I don't know how good he is, but he's better than that guy. So we got to move him up the rankings. He's been a little bit exposed in his, in his two losses and even in one of his wins. Uh, I mean, against Nganu, yeah, he got knocked out in 20 seconds, but Nganu knocks a lot of people out. The problem to me was that Nganu came straight at him and he missed on like three gigantic hooks before he landed the one that knocked him out. But he had a chance to catch up and knock him out because Jairzinho Rosenstrike doesn't have much head movement. Uh, even in his win over Alistair Overeem, I mean, he was literally 10 seconds away from losing a pretty pedestrian decision that wouldn't have been that different from the gone fight. And then the gone fight, obviously, he just didn't pull the trigger. It was a terrible fight. It was boring. But most of the blame for that rests on him. Because if Gon could win all five rounds using nothing but his jab and his low kick, then he'd be a fool not to do so. It's kind of been demonstrated, to me at least, that uh, Rosenstrike is prone to like getting his opponent's pace put on him if he's fighting like a good uh, kickboxer with good, with good footwork. That's a problem. Because... Sakai, I, I don't think Sakai is as good as Gon, and I obviously don't think Sakai is as good as uh, Overeem, because Overeem killed him, but Sakai is another huge kickboxer with yeah, surprisingly decent uh, footwork who likes to fight at a pretty deliberate pace. Like, his, his output is steady, but it's not furious. He doesn't load up. He's just constantly throwing stuff at you that hurts because he's a 6'5", 260-pound man. I don't think Rosenstrike needs to come out and just do the mad bull rush that he did against Nganu against Arlovsky, but he needs more urgency than he showed against Gon. Otherwise, he's going to lose another fight just like that, you know? And I'm not, I'm not picking him to snap out of the funk. Like, I don't think this is going to be a very fun fight to watch. Uh, I think Rosenstrike will have some moments of life in the first round, like he did against Gon. Like, it was the most interesting round. It was the one where he landed the most offense. And then that tap's just going to start dripping and then shut all the way off. Uh, give me Sakai by decision in a kind of dreadful fight. And I think Rosenstrike will stick around the UFC, but the bloom will be off the rose as far as this just wrecking machine goes. I, I think the wrecking machine days are kind of over. Tell me I'm wrong. Well, I don't know. Uh, the the only thing so this is one of the hardest fights I had to pick because um, I'm not that high in Sakai, and Rosenstruck, um it's really hard to be high in him after his last couple performances. It's it, it's frustrating. It's one of those guys that he 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 appeared to be something special and then he just looks like another heavyweight. I'm with you. I think this this very well could be a staring contest. We could have really long periods of inactivity i'm praying that's not true i'm praying we have a quick first round knockout regardless of who wins <laughs> you know you know I, i'm worried that we might have a card that isn't the sexiest card on paper that ends with a boring main event at heavyweight um yeah that would be terrible uh, as far as their styles uh Rosenstruck, he stays so loose and com and composed uh, for you know a kickboxer, he's 
what I like about him, he has not a lot of tells. There's no preloading to him. He's he's very short. His strikes are very short. Uh, he's a counter striker, but as you mentioned, he can be very gun shy. Uh, you talked about the win against Alistair Overeem, even in his JDS fight early on in the JDS fight. It took him a while before he you know finally started getting going. Uh, and then the surreal gone one is a perfect example of him not doing anything. Uh, he has, you know, you want to be patient when you're a counter striker, but his patient, he has it to a fault. Um, he is accurate because he sits down on his punches. He's got a, not only just have a jab, he has a power jab. He's got crushing power. I mean, his shovel uppercut of Alice Overeem is, is a you know, historic knockout with the, you know, the, his lip hanging off of his face. He's got hard kicks. He really turns on his kicks. He targets the calf. But you mentioned it, his lack of head movement. It's not even just lack of head movement. It's a lot of lack of foot foot movement. Like he's a very stationary target. But worse than having a lack of head movement is is also keeping your chin high in the air. And what I think what happens to him, he comes with such a kickboxing background, but he must and, – and I'm not going to pretend like I'm some kickboxing expert who's seen all Jardine and Rhodes strikes kickboxing. But just watching how he fights MMA, I'm going to assume he was a turtle guy in boxing where he hid behind the gloves. And that just simply isn't the case in MMA. You can't be that way. Um, and then we haven't even talked about his grappling, which is – you know, it's been a long time since we've seen him grapple, but when we did, uh, and it was, I, I honestly, I can't remember which fight it was. It was early in his UFC. He he really struggled to stop takedowns. Uh, uh, move over to Sakai. Sakai's a huge heavyweight. He's just a big dude. Uh, he's Even though he's big, he's surprisingly fast. He's got decent speed. I would say you mentioned his output. I would agree with that, but he, I think he's one of these guys that – when you look up the UFC stats, you know, when they took out oh, many significant strikes output, his those numbers will look good, but he has a, you know, it'll be up there where it should be, you know, 100 total strikes or whatever. But he fights in blitzes. Let's, he stops. He doesn't do much for 30 seconds, 40 seconds, and then suddenly he comes forward with a huge big combination right on the straight uh, on a center line with like 12 punches. Most of them missing, but he does that he kind of steal rounds. Like even like he was beaten out. Like I remember going back to the second round Alistair Overeem fight. And, and actually, the first and second round, he won both those rounds by just having like one big huge burst more than Alistair Overeem, and he kind of won the round. I, I he does have a sneaky high kick though. Like I've seen this, and he, he Alistair Overeem. I, I rewatched the Alistair Overeem fight, and Overeem stopped. The head kick a couple times, but it was there, and that's something that he might land on somebody else. Uh, he's got good power for heavyweight. I mean, he knocked out Marcin Tibora, uh, but he does have some defensive flaws, which is funny considering Rosestrick also does. He's flat footed. He can uh, be backed up against the fence. He did that against Alistair Overeem. He is a stationary target, similar to Rosestrick. He he doesn't use a lot of foot movement, uh, and he was open to the body. Like yeah. Overeem took him down, and that was the difference in the fight. But Overeem was starting to have success with kicks, teep kicks down the middle. And that's because uh, Sakai has a very – his hands, he keeps them very out wide, more to your traditional Muay Thai style than, like, you know, a tighter inside boxing, kickboxing. Um, clinch is a strong area, though, for him. He, he grabs the back of the head, dirty boxes in there, uh, uses his size. Um, he really worked the body against Overeem in the clinch. But he's also a weak defensive wrestle. Uh, he got taken down with the same takedown from Overeem. Struggled to get back up. He had, he doesn't have a single submission win in his career. 
and he faded in that fight against Alistair Overeem. So who do I pick? I have zero confidence. This is out of every single fight I picked, other than maybe Tom Breeze, because I, I don't have any confidence in Tom Breeze. This is the fight that I really struggle because I, I really don't know who to pick. I'm not that high in either. I think Sakai is more of a finished product. I think we know what we have with him. Well, Rosenstruck's more of a mystery. But the one thing I like about Rosenstruck is that that he doesn't have tells. And I already said that about him. Everything's short. He can just land one. He could be losing the end of the entire fight, and he lands one little short shot he can put you out because he generates so much power. It's, man, it's just one of those ones I hate picking him because I just, I could feel like I'm going to be frustrated with him just standing there doing nothing and Sakai just outworks him. That's probably what's going to happen. But I'm going to take that home run that he lands in one big shot. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a little short hook to the body uh, underneath something. Maybe it's a teep kick down the middle. Maybe it's just a short right. I think he's going to land something. I'm going to say about, probably midway through the fight. So I'm going to say Roadstruck gets off to a slow start, but lands one big shot, and he wins by third-round knockout. There you go. Almost the inverse of how we picked the uh, Tybura versus Harris fight. Uh, all right. That is it. 14 picks with uh, varying levels of confidence from uh, Keith and myself for UFC Vegas 28. That is it for the preview show. Uh, of course, enjoy your week. Enjoy the fights and uh, tune in for the live recap show uh, immediately after the main event. Uh, you can get there through the SureDog.com front page or just directly through the SureDog YouTube page. Uh, the comment section there will always be open for your questions, your takes on things, uh, and of course to laugh at us for any picks we got wrong. Between now and then, thank you so much for uh, listening and enjoy the fights. Mm-hmm.